you know, I've got two coins here and Jacobet over there has three coins. You go straight to social media, right? You take, you get a <laughs> screenshot of your purse <laughs> and a screenshot of her purse, put it up on social media and say, this is the violence inherent in the system. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here once again with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Great, Nick. Good, good. I did my very first immersion baptism on Sunday. That was a fun experience. Have you guys had a lot of experience doing those? We have a we have a lake nearby, and then someone wants immersion. We go we really. Go, That's cool. Drive into cool. the lake. Yeah, we just we just recently got like what you have. This is nice. A nice. It was it a feeding a, a water trough for. It's like for a cattle? horse trough. That, yeah. 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 It, why didn't you not... borrow the? Why didn't you borrow that? When we were in Louisville, we borrowed that Baptist church had a brass coffin that <laughs> they used, which was awesome. I borrowed this we from did... a Baptist church. It was just one of the guys I you knew. You don't remember when we when yeah, we baptized remember, of our friend's child? The only thing I felt bad about was the water was like 70 below zero. And he had got like hypothermia. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It seems terrible. I felt so bad because the poor kid like was like visibly... Uh, shocked and, yeah. uh, and i had but he had to go all the way under you know we like, had a plan so we we filled it up in the room 24 hours in advance but only like three quarters of the way so even though that was pretty cold we, we filled it up the rest of the way that sunday morning with hot water so it was all right that's smart yeah well, that's, that's smart cool guy, we offer that i mean that's part yeah of the sure of course it, it's right there in the prayer book yeah so I point that out, and if you know, even infants, you can blow in their face a couple of times. They catch their breath and they just dunk them down through. Um, you know, that's. Uh, we that's... did a few of those on Sunday. Although I just reached into the trough with my hand, and I did the. You don't. You don't do the. Orthodox yeah, thing. I used to. I did the three handfuls of water. I did when I was nine years younger than my younger brother. I mean, older than my younger brother, and so we had a pool in our backyard, and so I learned. I used to do that all the time to him, and then to my horror. Um, I was telling Liza when we had our own little baby, she's like, well, there is like a one in one billionth percentage that like they can actually drown if you do that. And so, of course, you know, it's the knowledge of good and evil. So the joy, the joy of dunking my own brother was never shared with my own children. So. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, well, that's great. Congratulations. Well, on to our topic for today. Uh, one of the things that society, at least Western society, is dealing with in a big way right now is what some have called victimhood culture, the truth that there is some sway or power to be gained by portraying yourself as a victim, as the, the victim of some oppression, either some current oppression or by identifying yourself as part of a group that has experienced oppression in the past. And the examples of this are legion, of course, but the one that jumped out to us this past week is this list that Mike Law put together of female pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, having been told that he was making an issue out of a non-existent problem, Law put together as part of the background information for an amendment he put forward at the recent SBC annual meeting, he put together a list drawn from church websites with pictures and titles of women publicly claiming to fulfill the role of pastor in the SBC. 
now all over Twitter, these women are being painted as victims, as entries on a hit list, and uh, therefore potential victims of future violence. So we wanted to talk today about victimhood. Who is and isn't a victim? How can we tell the difference? Are there biblical categories we can employ here? What is a biblical response to actual victimhood? And is there a biblical command to reject false victimhood, to take agency and responsibility? Where do you guys want to start with this conversation? What What is a victim? I mean, I think it's, well, okay. I mean, I think classically you would understand a victim as, some, as someone who has experienced um, injustice in a kind of material way, right? Like, so you've, you've had your... Uh, you've been imprisoned unjustly, or you've been mm-hmm. um, you've been enslaved, or you've been um, you've been uh, violence has been done to your body without any just cause for that violence to have been done. Um, you've been oppressed by someone who has power over you, who has taken away um, legitimate um, legitimate freedoms. Would also be another way of, of understanding victimhood. Or well, having something like. Stolen from your house, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. So, so that you'd be a victim of, of unjust, unjust behavior on mm-hmm. the part of somebody else. But I think what's happened now is because 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 the the, the understand the self understanding of of our the, the the understanding of the self has become psychologized. So it's it's an inner your your identity is is a is based on your inner sense of who you are. That means that now. Uh, victimhood becomes a, also a psychological category. So someone not not ex, not not recognizing you as you know if you if you identify as a woman and you're actually a man, so not recognizing you as a woman, well, you're a victim. You've been you've been harmed. You've been hurt by that by that lack of recognition. And so, and, hence the use of words like genocide. Yeah, like yeah. So like someone saying someone saying we there shouldn't be any we shouldn't recognize transgender people. And and by the I forget who said this. Some some legislator said this, said, this, said that. But the idea the idea was we shouldn't recognize transgenderism as an actual philosophical legitimately legitimate philosophical category. And the response was you're 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 literally committing perpetrating and killing, a trans- killing us, yeah. right? Because because if you don't recognize my inner sense of self, you are. You're suppressing me. You're oppressing me. Right. Well, I mean, the human rights campaign you may have seen just Mm -hmm. just uh, declared a state of emergency for trans and LGBTQ rights, um, which was picked up in in this. This was Elmo or something like this this week in the uh, New York Times. And the language used by uh, Charles Blow is nothing less than, you know, incendiary and, and, and demonizing. And it's really quite frightening. I mean, the rhetoric, the way it's being used, you know, people are being erased and marginalized and victims and harm and perpetration and you know even just the state of emergency you know this is a i mean that used to be reserved for you know hurricanes and and you know air raid sirens and things and this is what this is it's it's all part of a whole it's all part of a whole exactly right man about um you know the inviolable self being threatened by words you know this is what we're talking about because we're not talking about actual physical violence which everyone would would condemn you know i mean i mean i think every every certainly every christian would say you know sort of unjust violence and actual harm is to be um is to be adjudicated and and punished uh, but this is not in any way um you know what these words have meant and it's really frightening to be to be on the other side of that conversation because 
you know, you're, you're sitting there trying to whisper and, and be as gentle and humble as Peter says as possible about uh, a difference in convictions about fundamental issues of life. And that those differences are being labeled as, as um, well as being put the world into a state of emergency. I mean, that's, that's, um, yeah. you know, that's where we are. And then now you would say, I think, or you can disagree with me if you think I'm wrong, that, there's not an actual requirement of physical harm. I think we would want to say that you could be a victim of racism or you could be a victim of sexism. These things, these, these categories are certainly broadened out now into absurdity, but the theoretical category of victimhood in these cases exists, right? Well, if you're, yeah, if you, if you, but, okay. So if you are, if your skin color is darker than other people's and you're, and you therefore can't drink from the same water fountain or have access to the same benefits as everyone else because your skin color is different, then then yes, that's then you're being uh, treated unjustly and you're a victim of racism or whatever you want to call it, bigotry. Um, absolutely. Um, the question though, the, the the what's happened now though is we have this new category of sexual minority, or you know, if you, you're because the because the self has become psychologized. It's not just a matter of of the, of the material reality of who you are that determines oppression. So, mm-hmm. you, so you, if you, if if so, if I say, you know, call me uh, Loretta, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm I've now decided to become a female, and you don't call me Loretta, that's now being categorized into the same in the same way as telling someone who's black that they can't drink from the same from the same, same fountain, and and because the self has been psychologized, that, 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 that there's a huge difference between those two things. And, and the difference is between materiality, between what, what, yeah. the actual substance of, of the thing. There's the uh, accusation of thievery happening there, although it's not a, a possession that you are stealing from me, i.e. you are unjustly taking something that is mine away from me, nor is it an opportunity that you are stealing from me. You are unjustly preventing me from doing something that I ought to expressing myself to be able to do. The accusation is that you are stealing my quote right to be. And so therefore the, the claim of injustice is as though it was one of those other things. And yet there is, there's not an actual thing being taken away. That's right. Before we go on, I should just note the deep cut Monty Python reference that Matt just made uh, from life of Brian (laughs) with respect to, the transgender joke. Uh, I mean, in Monty Python. Um, call me Loretta. There we go. Anyway, just thought that should be noted. But I can't go without passing. Uh, well, referencing back that list and the whole SBC um, sort of debate that we're going to hear more about next week, uh, we hope, um, from one of our friends in the convention, um, there's been a lot of discussion with uh, around that um, overwhelming um, sort of ba- debate to limit the role of pastor or to or to affirm that the role of pastor in the SBC was limited only to men. And the same language is being used around that debate with respect to harming and victim and silencing and canceling. Um, and it's being levied or, or laid at the feet of anyone who holds to what, you know, we've talked about before, 50 years ago was the only Christian consensus and still is the majority of Christian consensus around the world, understanding Paul's um, sort of admonitions in the Gospels, particularly um, Timothy and, and, and Titus, I mean, in the, in the epistle, excuse me, 
Um, and that's concerning, deeply concerning as well, because that's not just a psychologized sort of argumentation there, Matt. I mean, that's what's getting to, a, you know, at least ostensibly they're still holding on to a gender distinction um, in, in most Christian churches. And they're starting to make this um, lay the groundwork for anyone who holds to a um, traditional Christian understanding of the roles and responsibility of men and women are engaging in the exact same sort of canceling and harm and injustice and all the, the same rhetoric is being used and yeah. marshaled um, against Christian people by other ostensibly Christian people um, who are who are simply disagreeing. Like they're, they're actually disagreeing about the way that the Bible is to be understood and, um, you know, using scripture, tradition, reason and all the things. And, you know, as gracefully, again, and as, as um, you know, humbly as, as possible, at least from the upper leadership, you know, I mean, I don't know how it plays out in every single instance. Um, you're trying to have people say, please don't, you know, lay the, the, all of the, the, the human ills of um, individual sinners who take, you know, the grace of God and pervert it, as Jude said, and draw these conclusions about an entire swath of people with whom you disagree. And yet that's exactly what's happening. And it's just the same playbook being played um, uh, just in a different issue. I mean, in this particular case, I mean, I watched Beth Allison Barr post this accusation that uh, uh, Steve Law, Mike Law, is it Mike Law? Mike. Michael Law. Okay. Was uh, doxing women because of the putting for, putting a list forward of publicly available information about uh, the churches where they, these women served as, as quote unquote pastors. And she was retweeted by uh, Karen Tola Pryor and some others. And it became a cause celeb for about a, a day. <laughs> um, but then came the pushback where people say, wait, that's not doxing. Doxing is where you, you, you publish ones like at personal home address or something online, online. So non-public uh, information. Yeah. Non -public right. In order to harm them. It's like a yeah, personal in order to insult go and versus a public right. discussion. It, Mike Law was just posting evidence that there are lots of women who are claiming, claiming to be pastors in the Southern Baptist convention. And, and that, that shows that this action needs to be taken. So it'd be the same thing as like publishing a list in the ACNA of, of all of those ACNA people who are in some kind of ministry collaboration with TEC or something like that. It, it's not doxing them. It's just saying, hey, these are people who are violating our our norms and and our, our doctrine. So so people, there's a lot of pushback, right? So then what happens? Well, Beth Allison Barr is, you know, she's so she's so exhausted fighting for justice you know it's, and, and she's so tired and and she's been there's so, a lot of weariness people, a lot of weariness and you know, people are just people are just so mean to her they're so mean to her these people pushing back on her they're so mean and you see what's happened right so so suddenly she's made this accusation against mike law that was slanderous it was it was legitimately slanderous but now she's pulled back or now that she's gotten the pushback she's the victim she's the one who's being her she is a woman was trying to express herself and the patriarchal men couldn't deal with that. And so they pushed back on her and they smashed her down um, in, into the dust. And, and that's also one of the ways that the, the victimized self is, is becomes the heroic self, right? So she comes, she goes from in legitimate, I think in legitimate justice terms, being a slanderer who muddied someone's name and got legitimate pushback to being someone who, who is a, a, a fighter for justice, 
who's now been victimized because she's a woman um, mm-hmm. by by the page by the patriarchal by, by the patriarchy, right? So it's just a fascinating move. Well, and what's um, and what's what's fascinating about it too, and just in a, even out even pulling back wider from just this particular issue is that there's this seeming one-to-one correlation between what quote-unquote complementarian theology and some sort of um you know abuse profile or something mm-hmm. that um is just being sort of stated yeah. as a fact and you're sitting there and you're looking at the, the rest of the culture yeah i mean and you want to say did you not live through the the me too movement i mean these are these are uh, or did you not live i mean watch the what perpetrate i mean what purports to be quote-unquote healthy sexuality out in the world is nothing less than a than a um, violent, um, you know, sort of oppressive, uh, supposedly free reality, particularly for women. Um, and so, you know, you say, well, yes, there's no possible reason to deny that there are people within the church who are unrepentant sinners, who are wolves masquerading as, as you know, sheep and shepherds. I mean, there's no question about that. And so to the extent that they are exposed and, um, you know, brought to justice, I mean, praise God. I mean, amen and amen. Uh, and yet, the the next step, which is it's because of this theology, just seems to deny the reality that sin, e- original sin, seems to be you know equally present in whatever sort of theology or non-theology that men and women have in a broken, sinful world. Because you can go to every single group of people um, that are congregating in any possible way, and you can find some some saints and sinners in there. And you know it's sad to say it's within the church also, but in a good church like ours, at least. The Anglican Church, you know, weekly people say, "Well, you know, you're too con- you're too insistent on sin. You talk about sin too much, and you call people sinners. And this prayer for access is too dark. And you know, we don't need to confess the same thing every week." And I was like, "Well, you may not think you do, but we have um, long history that's going to help us um, uh, keep a short account on our own hearts, and you know, be aware that but for the grace of God go we. Um, and that's at the very least the best we can do this side of heaven to." to stave off the hypocritical blindness that would produce some of this abuse in the church. But that being said, it is certainly not relegated to the church and has, you know, historically, you you know, you're blaming a a biblical Christian conviction on, um, or you're holding that responsible for this sinful behavior of, of, of men in particular in the church. And that's just, that's just a step too far. And I think that we have to push back on that, you know, even if you disagreed with it, you know, theologically, I think it's worth pushing back on for the sake of the brothers and sisters in Christ that you that you do love, it, albeit may have a second order disagreement. And it's really it's it's very dis, disconcerting is, is a word, um, you know, to watch this play out this way. Let's let's talk about scripture for a second. So the current cultural M.O. for someone who feels victimized seems to be first to blow the victimization up as big as possible to catastrophize the whole thing. If that's a word, I don't, doesn't sound like a word, but let's say it is. And then to draw as much attention to it as possible via social media, however you can. So you, you, you increase the perceived size of your victimization and then draw as many eyeballs to it as you can. What would the Bible counsel us to do when we are actually victims? When when something is perpetrated against us, what are we to do, biblically speaking? I mean, I guess it just it depends on the type of victimization you're talking about. Like, so if you're, if you're if you're sexually abused, Matthew 18 
goes outside the window, right? So you, you, you do need to get the authorities involved. You need, you need to get, you need to get some, uh, the police involved. But if we're talking about like someone's just been treating you unfairly and in a, in a way that's uh, maybe verbally abusive or, um, or they've not been, they've, you've not been having the same access to things in the church. Like, yeah. So impartiality, that's right. Impartiality is kind of like this. So that would be something where, um, if it's not physical or sexual abuse, that would be something that you would go to that person and say, "Hey, what you know? What this is not fair. You're not treating me right." Uh, like the we'll, let's use the example of the widows and acts who are not receiving the food to which they should have access. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You, you don't know. I mean, I, I'd love to know the background to that. Yeah, like, how, how that actually played out because we don't. We don't have. We don't have. Uh, all we know is that there was an accusation made that the that the Hebrew wives were getting more than the Greek wives, or, or uh, um, widows were getting more than the Hebrew widows. We don't know for sure how that was happening, or even whether that was happening. There was just the accusation made, and I'm I don't know. But I mean, maybe we could assume that it went through the the Matthew 18 channels. We don't I mean that some wives felt, or I'm sorry, widows felt like they were being mistreated. They went to the, those who were doling the things out and saying, "Hey, you're not giving us as much as you're giving them." And they said, yes, we are. And so it went up to another <laughs> next, huh. next level. Eventually got to Peter. And they, right? got to the, <laughs> and they got to the apostles, right? And they had said, okay, well, we can't wait. We can't decide this. Um, so I'm hoping, I mean, maybe that's the way it went out. Maybe that went, that's the way it went down. You can't really tell in a historical narrative whether they mm-hmm. followed the right. actual didactic thing, uh, the didactic, didactic process or not. Uh, but that's, that's what should happen, right? You see, you wouldn't want what, to, what would happen now, though, is if you're one of those Greek widows and you got, you looked at your own purse, you noticed, hey, I've got, you know, I've got two coins here and Jocko bed over there has three coins. You go straight to social media, right? You take, you get a <laughs> screenshot of your purse <laughs> and a screenshot of her purse, put it up on social media and say, this is the violence inherent in the system. This is That's the, right. this, <laughs> this is the, uh, this is the oppression uh, that uh, we have to undergo every day. And you wouldn't even try to work it out within within the system and you would get lots of likes. You would get lots of, you would get lots of uh, adulation. You would be the victim. You'd be the victim slash hero in the situation. Yeah. And all the while, and all the while, you know, breaking fellowship with the people you actually live and worship (laughs) who may disagree with you and, you know, building up this sort of mythic virtual relationship. Well, well not mythic, but these virtual relationships uh, with equally grieved people who are then emboldened to go back into their actual local communities and, and so division, you know, this is right. where I often say in my church, I was like, you know, you know, you're in the wrong, the wrong position when, when you're, you're whatever's being preached or taught is, is causing further division among you as opposed to bringing you together, you know, and that seems so obvious, except for the fact that, you know, you go down the list of things that people can be aggrieved by, and, um, you know, you wonder how anyone can have a conversation with anyone else at all, you know? And so we say like, and I say every, every Sunday at the breakfast forum that we do, I say like, this is why we talk about some of these very contentious issues. Um, because if we can't figure out how to talk about them amongst each other, even if there's some very d- disagreements in, in, you know, nuances at certain levels, well, then who, who can, you know, how can we, you know? So this is what, this is precisely what is being sidetracked in this entire process uh, in in this this type of, of sort of victim um, or, or sort of harm economy, for lack of a better word, um, it's it's fascinating. You know, I was I was watching um, on Twitter some some people on the far left of the ACNA who are 
really upset. They're, they're very much into the into the abuse narrative, the victim narrative. So they were saying, you know, if you go to a church and they say they require anything more of you to be a member than that you put your name on the call list and you take communion, then then you need to run. Wow. That's an that's wow. an abusive kind of church, right? So so that's setting, I mean, and and it's it, there's an increasingly vocal minority of people who are saying any kind of church discipline because that's why that membership lists membership in a congregation is is the baseline for any kind of church discipline all lists can become hit lists matt right, right. <laughs> so so you, you, you know i i think we talked about this before but in the episcopal church the typical thing was okay you're baptized you're still alive the church you're baptized in you belong to that church and you, you okay maybe you show up for christmas and easter but it doesn't matter you're still considered a member that's your church but that caused problems because people who don't show up at all come to the end but who are upset about something might come to the annual meeting and yeah. raise a loud stink and you say Who's i just learned there was an instance of this in the church that predates me that they had a it was actually one of the substantial meetings around the time of uh the diocese of south carolina leaving uh, yeah. the episcopal church and there was a handful of people that showed up and evidently were were um escorted out and they were very much very surprised by that um yeah. at least this was this was how well, it was recounted well, because I, a lot of ACNA can churches... either confirm or deny but, but it makes sense <laughs> i can imagine i can imagine um things like that happening very easily uh, well, if you because don't a lot of ACNA churches now that when they when they got out of the tc got tc so it's amping up their membership requirements so okay you have to be here regularly you have to right. uh, serve you have to give there's certain marks of membership that you have. And to I've been talking to y'all. We're actually in the, in the um, very beginning stages of sort of, of re revisiting a lot of these questions here at St. Luke's. Right. Um, I'm sorry. That, that gives you, that gives you a baseline for church discipline, which you have to have in order to maintain orthodoxy in a church. You have to be able to say, okay, this person is teaching wrongly, or this person is spreading this kind of lie in the church. This person is, is spreading this kind of sin in the church. Um, so we can dismembership that person because of this. Um, you have to have membership standards that would enable you to do that. But the the abuse victimized victim narrative is saying any kind of standard like that is abuse. Any kind of any kind of an exacting of a of of a of a rule in a congregation is a sign of of control of a controlling spirit. And you're you're setting yourself up to be abused by your pastors in that situation. Matthew 18, I think they would consider abuse. In fact, one of the people in this narrative, and you probably remember this, JD, was 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 removed from the unofficial ACNA page because she violated clearly violated one of the ACNA rules. And I warned her about that and uh, in the in the comment thread, and she she so she didn't listen to me. She was removed. And then she posted screenshots of me warning her and removing her. And she used the language of abuse. This is see how yeah. this clergy person in the ACA abused me by removing me from this private Facebook page in which the rules are clear and I violated them, but it's abuse because of the way he removed me from the it's just well, we've seen this, this but we've been watching be this. So, and we've been hearing this, uh, or this this type of um, sort of argumentation in these these claims, we've been watching for years, sort of trickle down out of what we've been 
I guess we still call it the deconstruction, uh, the deconstructionists, you know, like yeah. the Derek Webbs of the world. And, you know, you hear them talk about how they were raised in abusive households that were oppressive because they talked about sin and they um, talked about, you know, um, sexual purity and all of these these um, harmful um, you know, abusive type ideas about God that now they're so freed from and they don't have to be worried about. And yet they still blame um, their parents and their churches and all these various things. And we've been talking about this for, for years. I mean, this is part of what the, the culture has been giving us. And now we get to see it seep into, you know, even sort of spaces within the ACNA. Um, and it's, it's, it's disturbing to put it put it lightly, because as we talked about, I think years ago, we said, you know, it, what it does is it begins to, to minimize the impact of a very powerful word, you know, abuse is a very, I mean, that should make everyone sit up very straight when someone is accused of being uh, like a racist, you know, or abuser, or, or uh, if someone claims to be a, a victim who has been traumatized, these are words, as, particularly as pastors and Christians, we should say, wait, you know, you know, yeah. I was on my way to something else, but I'm, where are you? Let's, let's talk. And and then when it, you begin to find out time and time again that that these it's, you know that there was really in many cases not all but in many um, hurt feelings. I mean, this is what what is sort of at the heart of it. It begins to then it, 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 it sort of hardens you because it's like the you know the proverbial boy that cried wolf. And then so then the actual cases of abuse, the actual cases of traumatization and victimhood are are probably lost um at certain points or at least not taken as seriously as they should be in part because if everything is abuse then nothing's abuse right. you know if everything is traumatic well then then maybe trauma is just our base human reality or something but like you know we and so that's what we've been pushing i mean i can't remember i remember we talked about this years ago but i can't remember that particular episode but but it's it's what we're trying to push back on because far be it from us and god forbid um, anyone here is saying that that actual cases of of any sorts of these you know provable um, um, abuse and trauma and, and 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 siding with the victims is something that that um, Christian people would do as part of our you know new the new DNA of Christ within us or whatever you know our the new life of faith but it's difficult it's precisely to your point Matt when when you're being accused um, across the board of these, you, one, is being accused in, in ways that, that, you know, just don't seem to fit. And, and it's, it's harming the actual uh, people who have been abused. Speaking of things that we've been talking about for years, I want to give Matt, I want to give you the opportunity to clarify once again, something you've been clarifying for years. You referenced, I don't know, 20 minutes ago, the idea that instead of engaging in a Matthew 18 process, the recourse now would be to blast everything all over social media. But the fact is that social media now does exist and gives the opportunity for public and widespread untruths and heresy and wrong teaching. And so you have often been accused yourself of not engaging in a Matthew 18 process with somebody online, but confronting their false teaching publicly rather than going to them in private. So t t tell our listener once again, the difference between <laughs> a personal hurt that you need to address via Matthew 18 and a public teaching that needs to be confronted. Right. The general rule is public error receives public rebuke, private sin, private error, personal error, personal sin receives personal attention. So 
if John Spong is on Twitter, I know he's dead now, but let's just go back in time. If John Spong is on Twitter and he says, nope, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. He wasn't born of a virgin. And um, I think that God isn't really a personal God, but it's some kind of energy force out there. Well, then I'm not obligated to go to John Spong and say, hey, John, brother, you've really sinned against me. You've hurt my feelings. You've, you've, you've offended me because the, the offense is, is not against me. It's against Christ and it's public. It's a, it's a public uh, violation of the law and of his truth that needs to be public rebuke because people hear that um, and some might be deceived. So even, let's say, let's say I did, listen, instead of, instead of going to, to uh, instead of rebuking and responding to him publicly, I just went to John Spong and said, hey man, yeah, you should stop that. Um, and he said, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's probably that's probably wrong about a few details, but oh well. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, man. I, I, I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that my my theology hurts your feelings, and um, I apologize. And boy, I hope we can take communion together again, brother, because I really love you and, I, and you love me. Well, and I said, oh, great, thanks, John. Man, we are reconciled. We are, we are reconciled. No, no, it's not. The, the problem is there's been a lie that's been spewed out into the public into the public sphere that needs to be addressed. In Matthew 18, Ooh. Jesus is talking about personal about personal offenses, personal sins, personal things that you know about, and that might I don't know, and that no one else knows about, it, perceivably, or also wouldn't it would not need to be taken to the church or to others if everybody knew about it. If it was just. <laughs> The, the, the whole context is that only you know about it or or you've experienced it um but when when there's a when there's a when the, in the when there's in the public sphere a public lie a public error a public falsehood being spoken it needs to be confronted confronted uh, publicly and you see that all over the place in the new testament paul does that writing his letters he maintains names of people who have who have who have violated their confession uh he's he's not shy or reticent about calling people out publicly um i don't he did not go uh, and paul did not go to the man who was having an affair with his father's wife um in corinth personally so at least there's no record of that there's no record that he wrote this day oh man please hey you should stop this man there's no no record of that at all he wrote a letter to the whole church and said <laughs> and said hey you're you're proud of this guy you should be you should have you should have you should be all be ashamed. You should kick this guy out of your out of your unless he until you until unless he repents, you should kick him out. So so yeah, you the public again, public sin or public uh, error is requires public public rebuke because of the reality that sin or that uh, falsehood heresy spreads like green green. And you need to be able to you need to be able to confront it in a way that that, that shuts down that spread as quickly as possible. Ooh. And the surgical doctor, the surgeon, in other words, is not abusive when he cuts off a no. gangrenous appendage. He's saving the life of the patient. No, if you say, if, 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 I mean, the people who are listening to John Spong say that Jesus isn't risen from the dead are going to hell if they, if they believe him. Mm-hmm. So you, you've, got, you've got to say John Spong's a heretic and, and this is a lie. Here's why. Don't listen to him. He's a false teacher. He's a wolf. He's going right. to devour you. So don't, don't listen to this guy. In Matthew 18, that whole process is always with the intention of bringing reconciliation and bringing people back into, you know, loving, um, you know, forgiving, grace-filled Christian fellowship. I mean, that's that's the goal. I mean, and then 
you know, and so that's why the process is intended to minimize um, the number of people involved initially. Yeah. Because the hope is you, it's just you and this person. That's the great that's right. hope is that it never goes yeah. further than that. Praise and God, then you've it's won forgotten. Your yeah. And then it's forgotten. And you say, you know, just as far as the East is from the West, you have been absolved and we are reconciled. And um, let's, you know, keep that cookout that we had planned for Saturday night, you know, or whatever it is. <laughs> um, and it's actually quite beautiful. I, I um, in part because of y'all's um, insistence and conviction on this issue uh, in my own life, uh, use it as part of our vestry uh, retreat training, um, you know, every year. And I say, listen, this, and, and it was, it was, for some people, it was the first time they had walked through in, in such a du- directed way. Um, and I said, look, this is this is how a church is supposed to operate, not because we are some sort of Stasi, you know, listening in on people and trying to catch people. But it's because we we hurt each other. You know, we, we fall prey and bite and devour at times and we need to be corrected lovingly and then restored. And that's part of the sanctification process. And so I. I'm sit under that teaching just as just, you know, as a as a Christian, you know, no higher than you do, you know, in terms of it convicting me at times. Um, and yet it it's become something quite beautiful in, in my own life and ministry that in a way that I never expected. You know, whenever anyone talked about Matthew 18 processes, I always used to get nervous. And I was mm-hmm. like, who's coming after me? Who's <laughs> who's wants to, you know, um, come around every corner? And then I realized that, you know, if they're genuine people that love you, you know, beginning with your neighbor, you know, like your most people, their spouse, you know, or your or your um, people that actually know and love you. Well, then it can become a very um, enlightening, humbling. Yes, but also life giving um, exercise. And so I think that's um, you're right, Matt. That's an entirely different process than somebody publicly, you know, bearing their fangs um, as a false shepherd or false teacher. And then, you know, the 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 faithful defenders, um, you know, responding in kind. Yeah. So, I mean, to bring this back around, I mean, that's exactly the case in point with the, the, the presenting issue we began the show with is that, you know, Mike Law was, uh, was, was populating a list of women in pastoral office, in the pastoral office who were in clear violation of the South, Southern Baptist Convention's doctrine in practice so he was i mean i don't he was he was publicly collect collecting names as evidence and and their in their job descriptions i'm, I'm assuming at their on their websites as evidence that they were in in violation he was public information of a public violate uh, about a public violation of clear public standards so he was he was actually trying to enforce He's trying to enforce the the doctrine of the of the church to which he belongs, which is a good thing. The, the church needs discipline. That's one of the three marks: the, the, the right preaching of the gospel, right celebration of the sacraments, and right discipline. And if you don't have right discipline, you don't have a church. So he has to uh, he had to do what he had to do, and then that's when the that's when the fireworks the, the fireworks began. And I think we're going to see more of those as we go as we go on, and we have more. Uh, the, the the idea of the self being um, and the, and the feelings of the self being the source of truth and identity and 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 uh, and value the inner self being that any kind of inhibition or any kind of limit on self expression is going to be seen as abusive as we go on and we just have to remember that we we should be afraid of that 
as pastors, as leaders in the church, and as people who are, uh, if you're not a pastor, if you're just a, uh, if you're not just, if you're also if you're part of the laity, um, you shouldn't be afraid of that. You shouldn't be afraid. Of you shouldn't be afraid. To, you should not be afraid of this because because it's it's a it's all part and parcel of the, of the great lie that's been going on from the very beginning about about the self that that you're God and and that you you should be God and Jesus shouldn't. Um, so the best remedy for the lie is the truth, not, not just in contradiction to what's being said about the self, but also the, the proclamation of Christ as, as the one who is the lawgiver, but also the one who gives grace and forgiveness for those who are willing to repent and believe Amen. and trust in. Amen. Yeah. The, the word of God is, is a scalpel sharper than any two edged sword, but it is not victimizing us. It is revealing the truth about us. So that we can have our eyes open to our need for a savior and then our ears open to the announcement that our savior has come. Amen. Indeed. Well, thank you for listening to stand firm this week. If you would like to keep the conversation going with us, you can be in touch rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the gospel Facebook group. Thanks to JD Coke and Matt Kennedy. I'm Nick Lannon and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Amen.